Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Sorry, we've been away for a while because, uh, well, we're on a break. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> those who've listened to this podcast over the years will know I've always had a very complicated relationship with it. Um, uh, one of the things I talk about a little bit on the podcast is this idea of, uh, you know, asking yourself the question, uh, how is my relationship with, and, you know, whether it's how is my relationship with alcohol or how is my relationship with uh, other people in my life. Um, uh, one that comes back to me quite a lot about this podcast is how is my relationship with this podcast? And sometimes it's it's very strong and positive and has great momentum. And then sometimes uh, <laughs> sometimes it ruins my life a little bit. Uh, of late, it's been more the latter than the former. But um, So we've had a little break. Uh, my heart wasn't really in it for a bit. And uh, the main reason for that is, is, is really simple, that... Um, uh, I always feel really grateful that people come on this podcast and share what they have to share and are so completely honest with me about what they think. And um, yeah, the audience is amazing. Uh, the audience has been incredibly supportive of people coming on and doing that. And that is the reason that, you know, people have trusted me uh, to come on, talk to me on the podcast and share these things. Um, unfortunately, if like some of that uh, stuff that people have said to me on the podcast has been you know, rebroadcast in other forums and, uh, you know, had blowback on people's lives. And, uh, you know, that's not something I want. I don't want someone to come around and do my bloody free podcast that they're not getting paid for and uh, give me their time and then uh, it cause a pain in the ass in the rest of their life. So uh, for a little while, um, I've just not wanted to do it. Uh, that's the truth of it. Um, I had a couple recorded already, uh, uh, one of which is this today's episode. And so what we're going to do is we're going to publish... Uh, the remaining couple that I uh, had already recorded and then we're going to have a really decent break and I'm going to have a think about whether um, I want to bring the podcast back or not. Um, look, we haven't ruled out the idea. This might not be the end. Um, uh, you know, I've quit the podcast many, many times before and, uh, you know, this is probably just one of those times. It's probably just me having a um, needing a couple of months to have a think about it all and uh, have a think about what I want to do with it and, um, you know, uh, what I can put in place going forward so that people can come in and um, still share the amazing things that they share with me without, you know, feeling that they have to protect uh, their words or what they say um, because it might be, you know, sort of taken out of context and used in other places and, um, you know, misrepresented. So, uh, so basically, yeah, I'm going to have a break. Um, yeah, <laughs> so thank you to everyone who's uh, said so many positive things about it and shared it around and had a listen. And look, you know, there's 50 odd episodes, um, you know, back catalogue, so you can always uh, spend some time having a listen to those. What we might do in the interim uh, is perhaps uh, go through some of the old podcasts and maybe put together some theme episodes, you know, um, different uh, times that I've asked, uh, you know, different guests the same question. Perhaps we'll put together some compilations of their various different responses and answers, but uh, that's going to involve uh, somebody else other than me having to go and do that because, you know, I find it uh, incredibly difficult to listen to myself or watch myself and do those things. So it's not something that I have the capacity to do myself, but um, we're hoping that somebody else might do that. Uh, this is a good opportunity to just thank Mike Hal, our US-based uh, producer who edits it all together, and uh, Podcast Mike, uh, young Michael Liberale, who is um, just... Uh, fantastic um uh, just a, an amazing talent and uh, the real reason that you were hearing this weekly for a while and uh basically the reason that i didn't just uh, throw it all in the bin and decide to stop doing it completely uh has been 
Mike's sort of steady encouragement uh, through uh, this whole uh, last sort of month or so. So uh, this episode today, uh, without, I'll, I'll just move on now. That's enough. That's that's the intro. That's why we haven't been here for a while. You know what? You might not even be listening to this or in order anyway. So I'm not going to bang on to, about it too much and I'll, you know, probably change my mind in a couple of months. So uh, in the meantime, here's what's going to happen. Uh, I've got uh, three more to put up, actually, technically. Uh, there is uh, today's episode, which is Daniel Sloss. We recorded this during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Daniel Sloss is a brilliant uh, Scottish stand-up comedian. Uh, he's about to have a couple of specials on Netflix that you can check out. Speaking of Netflix, uh, please watch Hannah Gadsby's show, Nanette. It's um, one of the great all-time stand-up specials, and it is now available on Netflix. And... Um, Hannah uh, is one of those guests that, uh, you know, we've organised a couple of times to do the podcast and because of the great success of Nanette, um, her career has just been taking her all over the world and uh, we haven't been able to manage to sit down and have the conversation. So maybe that'll be the one. Maybe that'll be the one that brings me back to the podcast when um, Hannah and I find some time to sit down and have a chat. But uh, in the meantime, I've got three left. Now, ordinarily, I wouldn't put out three blokes in a row, uh, but it's just the three that I have left to put up and I'm not recording any new ones at the moment. So uh, this is what's going to happen. Daniel Sloss today, uh, the brilliant Daniel Sloss. Uh, Then a chat I had with Sammy Shah about uh, a month or so ago. And then um, after that, uh, we're going to re-release the Jules Lund episode, uh, which uh, uh, will be back up. Uh, that'll be the final one we put up. Uh, so the next three weeks will be uh, you know episodes that will go up, and then after that we're going to have a decent break and a regroup and a rethink and 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 see if we're going to go forward with the podcast or not. So anyway, thanks so much to everyone who supported it. You can still go to the Facebook or the Twitter or the Instagram, and you know uh, these things. The great thing about you know the internet and the way it works now is that uh, these things sit around and people can. Uh, discover them and uh, go through them and explore them uh, at their own pace. So, uh, you know, you don't need me to be putting them out weekly. Uh, so uh, I hope you uh, enjoy today's episode. It's an absolute cracker. Um, Daniel's the best. Uh, if you've heard him on my other podcast, Fofop, um, he's been a regular guest on that where we have some pretty outrageous conversations. He's provocative. He He's intentionally provocative. He's young and uh, he has a lot of uh, firm and strong opinions Uh He's one of the nicest guys in comedy as well. He's uh, just a, a genuinely great dude, and I really enjoy just sitting down and having the opportunity to chat with him. So I hope you enjoy it too. This is Daniel Sloss. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, oh, well, that's very unprofessional. Yeah, sorry. I tried very... to do it off mic. But... Yeah, I mean, you probably did. I probably didn't need to. I probably could have. And you know what? Mike Howell, my producer, probably could have just edited it out. Yeah, because that... you hadn't actually spoken yet, so he could probably just drop your separate line out of the podcast. And the only reason I have to keep it in now is because I've commented upon it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, welcome to the podcast. This is Willosophy. Uh, my next guest, some of you will know if you listen to my other podcast, Fofop, because he has been a regular uh, visitor to that podcast and we've had some of the most fun chats that we've ever had on that podcast. So if you like today and you've never heard the Fofops, go and find those and uh, listen to us have probably slightly more outrageous conversations about things than we might might have here today. But uh, this is a different podcast and this is how it starts. Uh, guest, I ask this question, who are you? Uh, I'm Daniel Sloss, and I am a comedian, obviously. And it's weird that I define myself as that, but yeah, that's... 
It's part of the reason I ask the question, right? Because I, I like to hear what people say. Because it is that sort of thing when somebody says to you, not what's your name, but who are you? Yeah. That you, There is some sort of temptation to fill the hole with something. I feel like a lot of the time people would, in that situation, obviously try and vie away from their occupation because they go, you know, it doesn't define me. I'm so much more than, you know, what I do for a living. And but like I've been doing comedy since I was... 16 years old I've been doing it for like 10 years now that's over a third of my life and I'll be honest with you before that I was just a fucking annoying teenager like like the most important thing I've done and the thing that has given me the most value in life so far is stand-up comedy so it's led to all the other things I love in my life it's interesting to me because you know absolutely some people do answer with their jobs and some people answer with something that is more broad than that something that defines them as a human being outside what it is that they do um but with you i think what you've said is very true and it's something that i find very interesting about you because in a general sense and there is no general sense because some of the most brilliant comedians of all time started when they were 15 16 years old you know yep. ross noble and eddie murphy and you know all these bill people, hicks right? yep. you know brilliant teenage people who wanted to be stand-up comedians. Tom Ballard here in Australia, you know, teenage stand-up comedian. Um, and brilliant, you know, stand-up comedians. And there's a little bit of me that I started when I was 21 or 22, 22 I think maybe. And uh, once you're doing something that you know that you're going to do for the rest of your life, you're like, what the fuck was I doing wasting all this time before I started doing mm. this? But at the same time, I think as I've got older... I appreciated that I did something else before I did comedy because I have something else to compare comedy to. Yeah, yeah. And so when comedy is at its worst, I can still be reminded that comedy at its worst is still better than, than... everything else at its best, pretty much. Yeah, I think that's a great sort of comparison. It's that you know, no matter how bad it gets, you'll always know that it was better than the previous life. I don't necessarily have that my only other job before this was i was a paintball referee which is worse than it sounds by a thousand fucking miles i was gonna say because it does actually kind of on just first glance it sounds fun which is why i took the job because i was like this will be the funnest job in the world i'm a paintball referee i was 16 and my job was to take out like groups of uh 40 men and arm them fully with uh, markers, paintball markers, uh, while they all wear camouflage, and I would wear bright red and a bright yellow mask, and I would have one marker that didn't have any bullets in it, and my job would be if any of their markers broke, I would walk up to them, I'd swap their uh, hopper, which is their ammo thing, over, and then just start fixing their one. And I'll be honest with you, most people will just shoot a 16-year-old if they haven't seen something in about five fucking seconds. And there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do. I don't have any ammo. I don't have any. I'm just there. They'll just get bored. It'll hit you. I can't send them off. I don't know who did it. I know who fucking did it. Of course I know who fucking did it. I'm not an idiot. I know where the things. But I'm 16. They're grown men. They're on stag dudes. They're all on fucking coke or they're shit faced for whatever reason. And yeah, just kind of. The worst one was when they um, used to get like kids who were like, you know, troubled kids who were on three weeks good behavior would then go like, oh, let's take them to paper. I'm like, you f- No. <laughs> let them swim <laughs> like just give them something that, like it's oh, it was the dumbest dumbest worst thing it's in the world it's interesting insight into humanity though that you experience which is that grown men in that pack environment yeah. have absolutely no respect for the fact that you're a 16 year old child they well, don't give a shit oh no you're and like I would a do warm the, prop to their amusement I would 
actually, now, even with the experience of being a pinball, I would never go pinballing ever just because I know how much of a rip-off and a scam it is. But if it was ever done, it's time to you bet your ass the first person I'm shooting is the marshal because in my books I'm like no 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 you go through exactly what I went through you like that's it's not fair that you get a better life now in this situation you've got to experience it so help me grow as a person so I helped me develop humor a lot in comedy like I was just like I cannot get these 40 men to respect me by my stature or my skills I'm 60 I don't have knowledge the only way I can get them to respect me is if I make them like me and from a very very young age I've realized the way to get people to like me was through laughter you know so where did that come from then um, I, th- I think it came from my uh, family. A-, a lot of it came from my family. I have, a- I have a genuinely hilarious family, like extended family and whatnot. And not in the way that other people are like, oh, my dad's wacky. Or, you know, my uncle's always coming up with these funny limericks at Christmas. My family are genuinely humorous people. Very viciously funny. It's, uh, you know, sort of friendly, insulting stuff. There was so Comedy and laughter always had value in my family like and it was a way that I could get out of trouble as well it definitely worked in school like I was a pretty shitty kid a lot of the time and if I ever did something you know in the playground if I fucking tripped someone up during football and utterly intentionally of course I did it intentionally I was a horrible kid uh, and they fell over and they started screaming the way I would get them to stop crying is to try and make them laugh and then it got me out of trouble so you know, on several layers, it got people to like me, it got me out of trouble. And, uh, yeah, I always just like being known as the the funny one. So the, these things are never as simple as the very simple thing I'm about to paint. But it's funny to me because knowing the sort of comedy that you make now, it feels to me that so much of the DNA of it is in that moment. Like so much of your comedy still to this day is about sort of intentionally tripping somebody over and then charming your way out of something that was clearly of your making in the first place. 100%, yeah. I will make, I'll say something that, you know, is designed to, not necessarily designed to shock you. Like I don't want the reaction of the shock, but I know how you'll react and I know that you're, you know, wrong. Because when I first thought of the thing I'm talking about, it's an awful thought or it's an awful thing. So I'll say it to you, uh, but then I'll talk about it. Like in my last show last year, I had this whole routine. I didn't want to do it for years because I just thought it was the worst thing I'd ever thought. And then the amount of audiences that laughed at it. So it would get that exact reaction. I would shock them though, and bring them back on board. And it was, if you've been in one of those relationships where there's nothing wrong with the relationship, you just don't love each other anymore. And that's never a valid excuse to break up with someone. It doesn't feel like it because it just feels broken. So if you've ever been in one of those relationships where, you ch- where you're trapped and you find yourself thinking one day how much easier your life would be if your partner was to just die. Like, it's the easiest way out of that relationship. There's no awkward breakup. Your friends are going to encourage you to move on sooner than if you, like, broke up. You're not a monster for breaking up. You don't have to... There's no introspection that you have to go through this horrible thing of how flawed a human... It's the great... It's the easiest way out. People are feel sorry for you as opposed to, you broke her or his heart. Like, oh, they died. You must be... Oh, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get over them. <laughs> <laughs> And I remember thinking that, and it, it was a thought that came to me in a relationship. And oh. the second I had the thought, I was like, that is 
a horrendous thing to think and I now have to break up with this person because they deserve better than this. Regardless of their flaws or their shortcomings, they deserve better than someone who, who, would, hoping, be no- who would be uh, non yeah, Their life would be more convenient if they died. Yeah, if you just, that's not, you never want to be. Like, if you were to die, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm meant to be the love of your life. I'm not meant to just shrug off your death. You know, I just cleared up my diary a bit for next week, actually. (laughs) A few of those no's or maybe's I replied to on Facebook can become yes. You know what? I'm suddenly clear. Like, I'm suddenly clear. I can finally go back to being myself. I don't have to lie anymore. Um, Yeah, I'm going to watch a lot more Fox footy. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember thinking it and thinking, fuck, that is is awful. And then to myself sort of going through a bit like it is a funny thought though it's funny because of how fucked up it is and then it's you know saying it to the audience just being like because even though of course 30 percent of the audience will be like oh my god no i've never thought that the other 70 have been like it you know what it has crossed my mind it's very uh human and i like those sort of jokes where you catch them off guard and then you slowly bring them around to your way of thinking. So that observation in of itself is, is I think, is just a genuinely brilliant, evil, but empathetic human observation. And I think that's when your comedy is at its best, you know, when you are able to be, like, you are actually, while it feels like you're being a bit evil with it, mm-hmm. like, there's also a level there of going, I am letting you acknowledge the darkness that is inside you yeah. and the way that we all, you know, sometimes... Even if you do love that person, like if you genuinely, like, I mean, because there will be people in that audience who've had that thought. Yeah. But it, it is not the prevailing thought in their life. It was just It just that, comes up once. It's it was not just ongoing. that day or that situation or that series of yeah. events that led to the moment where they sat there and thought, you know what? It wouldn't matter. It's just if they died. It's just if they... If just they just, right now. Yeah. I didn't murder them. Yeah. It was a tragic oh, no, accident. Oh, no, no, no. I definitely don't... Like, I mean, I don't, I'm not even saying I want them to die. No. I'm just saying, if they, they died, did, it would not as be as bad as if it was three weeks ago when I actually loved them, right. as opposed to, I'm just saying it would be easier at this point for me to get over them. So, and the reason that that is probably so rarely voiced is that I would say for the majority of people, it's only a fleeting thought ever, and they go back to the next day, that being an idea that they never would. Yeah. Like, and they've, and they've, then, but so then they never talk about it. Because you would never bring that up as a funny story with your partner or whatever. Oh, like... honestly, so there was just a point last week. You remember the toaster wasn't working, you kept turning it up too much and it burned one side. And I told you it was on toasty thing, but you didn't listen to me. I was just thinking to myself about that. If you died that moment, like I honestly wouldn't have given a shit. But now I love you. But yeah. now, baby, baby, where are you going? <laughs> like you can never bring it up comfortably because right. there's rightfully, because even if I put myself in those shoes, if one of my ex-girlfriends while we're together being like, man, if you just died last week, I wouldn't get a shit. I'm like, you are so fucking dumb. It's like, right? I, I need you to need me and I or, want you to want me. Or at the very least, I'll just, if I'll just go. <laughs> like if, <laughs> yeah. if you're feeling like that, like, I'll, I'll just move out. There's just, easier ways. I'm, I can be dead to you, but right. can I be alive to everyone else? <laughs> we'll try that first at the very <laughs> least. Yeah, yeah. Right? Let's do a general consensus. Let's yeah. do, yeah. You know what? You can actually pretend that I'm dead. Yeah, and wandered oh. in that way. That'll be a much less complicated breakup. <laughs> Maybe that's how people should have to break up instead of going through that period of time where, like, you actually tell one of them that the other one's dead. 
<laughs> and then it's like a witness relocation program of some sort. Yeah, and then it's just an awkward. It's like the, the the end of the Dark Knight Rises, just in a couple of years in the future, and it's just Alfred in France, and he looks over, and does he see him or does he not? Well, or maybe it's that thing of like you know in Japan or whatever you can pay. Yeah, it's a status thing, so you can pay for mourners to come to your funeral who aren't actually. Or uh, women, they're doing a thing now where you can have your wedding even if you're not got a partner or whatever, so you can get your wedding photos when you're at your. Most, really? Yeah, so they're doing these services, right? Or it's like an escape room. You know, it's a fantasy service where you're putting yourself in this. Maybe we could just hire a bunch of people to literally mourn in the way it is if the person was dead. Yeah. Like you've just moved to another suburb, into a share house or whatever. But, you know, they have people bring over food. You know, you all sit around, you talk about the good times, people hug you. Do you, you, do, know. Do you have that... Uh... Is a question for you. Do you have that level of narcissism? I'm the level of narcissist that I absolutely, definitely think about my funeral quite a lot. And it upsets me because of how upset I know everyone will be there in my head. I have a very different perspective on that. I'd like to revisit yours. I'll tell you mine quickly and yes. then let's go back to yours. Uh, mine is the opposite. I'm now at a stage in my life where I would welcome death, sudden death. It's my favorite it's my ultimate fantasy that I'll just suddenly die and it'll all be over. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Like, <laughs> is this an intervention? <laughs> uh, I don't like being sick. I'm not like looking yeah. for some sort of long drawn out. I don't need to do a show about it. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to have to get the lump and then to a, you know, my show about the lump, my award winning lump show yeah, for a yeah. year coming, and then die. Coming to terms with it. Yeah, I yeah. don't want that. I want like sudden death. It's all over. Move on. But the problem is, and I shouldn't care about this once I'm dead, because what I believe is that I'll be dead and I will have no sense of yeah. anything that's ever happening ever again is. But every time I make a mistake, every time I make a fuck up, I realize that I have to live for a bit longer so that the immediate thing people don't go to is the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because in my head, when I die, they go to your most immediate like, you know, yeah, thing. Yeah. And if my most imme immediate last thing was a fuck up of some kind, I'm like, oh, great. Now I have to live for another six months. Yeah, just to, rebuild sp some just trust, to spite that memory of myself. Do something good. Yeah, I'm going to start a charity. Don't want that last thing that comes up when people Google me to be that chortle review. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, fuck. Uh, yeah, and I, I, now that's in my head. But for me, what that means is I have to live forever because I don't think I'll ever get to a point in my life where I've ever gone a two-week period without massively fucking up somehow. Well, that is part of the problem. You know, that is... Uh, so take me back to yours. I like the idea of somebody imagining their own death or their own funeral. This yeah. podcast normally ends up talking about death anyway, but we've jumped in the deep end, so that's fun. Um, uh, so when you imagine your death what are you imagining in this kind how of, i die yeah well uh, not just how you die but how it's celebrated or how you're remembered or the things that are around it in whatever this you know fantasy is in in my head what it is is the funeral is actually quite fun right because everyone just goes, i've always said that what i wanted my funeral to be is I want all of my friends and my family to get on stage and say the worst thing they can about me. The worst, one of the worst personality traits about me or one of the worst moments where I was just such an unforgivable dick, which they'll all have plenty of. And then, because I want by the end of the funeral, people to be like, I don't miss him that much anymore. Right. <laughs> like, you know what? Good riddance. Like, well, maybe that's what you got to do in the relationship breakup. Yeah. You've got to have like a roast. 
That's maybe Jeffrey Ross should start offering this as a service. And yeah. when you break up with someone, he just comes around and roasts them on all their worst. And you're like, hey, I don't miss that. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that would. Yeah, that, that works if you're the one that got dumped. If you're the one that got right. your heart broken, you absolutely get someone to come around to be like. But then again, that's what your friends are. Right, but they're not professional roastmasters. They're not. Uh, no, but to me, I, I, uh, I hate when my friends like they break up with some their partner or something, and then I'm like, right, here's my job. Right, I will fucking. Here's all the things I hated about this person while you dated now I've got full room to say and then three weeks later they're like we're back together and I'm like I can never see this person ever again like I tore them a new fucking hole and now that you've given me freedom to express how much I dislike that person you've you can't just suddenly be like no pretend again no I'm not no 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 you made me drop the act the act has dropped if you can keep that illusion up for a fair period of time more power to you I'm not going to attend the fucking wedding <laughs> unless you want the wedding to be another fucking roast of your piece of shit boyfriend or girlfriend um, are you a person who craves, I mean, you're a young person. Mm. So when you're a young person, you feel like life is going to go forever. Do you have a sense of, I never imagined, I honestly, and I don't know why, not for any reason in particular, but I just never imagined that I'd still be in my mid forties fucking like doing this and being alive. And I just like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't like I thought that I was going to necessarily die when I was 27 and, you know, a poor... Oh, I absolutely did. And I still, I still, I still reckon I might die. That's again, where my level of narcissism is like either. Oh, of course I'll yeah. join the 27 go. Because if, the, I do, if I'm also one of the all time. Yes. Right. If I don't die at 27, I'm not a big genius as I thought I was. Yeah. I've been living a, every year after this, I'm going to be like, I fucking, uh, yeah, should have been yeah. then. Because after that, the, I don't need to do any more work. There's a finite limit. The potential of my brain you'll never see because I'm dead. They're like, oh my God, he was on this path. It could have gone up to there. Realistically, it's not fucking gonna. And you'll all work that out by the time I get to 31. And they're like, oh. I yeah. mean, he's, he's all right. Yeah, he's still good. He's, you know. I think that yeah. now that you've said it like that, I think that what I would love to do if I could ideally time my own death, it's at, right at the, the start of the dip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just at the point where people will think I still had greatness in front of me. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they haven't realized that I've been on a gradual downhill slide for years and yeah. I had nothing really that interesting to say. Yeah, yeah. instead, instead of the first person noticing, just suddenly, hold on, this is getting worse. Instead of killing them, you're just like, and now I die and they're a slanderer. Right. <laughs> right? Because if, if I die, no, if you die when you're just going down on the downgrade, no one is allowed to say, his last show wasn't that great, was it? Right. Like he was like you can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody is allowed to say that, right? The second someone says it to me, I'm necking myself, it's done. Because I know for a fact, no matter how shit you think my last show is, you are not allowed to say at any point. You know what? It's probably for the best. I'm allowed to say it, and I'm allowed to admit that that but you as my friend, you're not allowed to be like, and especially because I'm dead, you're just besmirching my name. I'm still warm for crying out loud. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you, I mean, there is an element of you and I, I don't, I, it's always very hard for me to know how much of it is pretend and how much of it is real because you are, it, it, it comes very naturally for you to refer to yourself as a narcissist or to mm. refer to your ego or, you know, these kind of, you know, like slightly boastful like ways of speaking about things yeah but there's a way that you do it that i i think even for someone like me who i mean i don't know you that well but we've known yeah. each other for a, a while now and we've like you know um i feel like i know you i know you pretty well we've yeah. had some very very deep conversations okay. so, well, on okay. and off air yeah i'm gonna say that then all right so i, I 
I wonder, like, is that, what is that exactly? Do you think it's, because it's not what it appears to be, I don't think, but it, but it's there as a constant of like how you present yourself. What, what is that? Um, it could be, I, I don't know. It could be yeah. a, a large number of uh, things. For me, first of all, I love, I do love being confident and, and look, and apart from the female orgasm, confidence is the easiest thing in the world to fake. <laughs> like it genuinely is. And not only can you trick other people into thinking you're confident, you can trick yourself into thinking you're confident. Anytime that I feel down, I'm just you know watch Conor McGregor videos. Like like, and I love the feeling of being confident. And there was a there was definitely a time when I was about twenty twenty one um, when my career in the UK was on a trajectory. I'd done a bunch of TV shows, getting you know being young and successful and stuff and it absolutely went to my head to the point when I had and I still thought to this day I still thank these people for doing it people at the stand and uh, a bunch of uh, like producers and agents I worked took me aside and they were like you have to stop this immediately before you become fully un we're saying it as your friends you're becoming unbearable this is not this is not the you this is not the re reason everyone likes you isn't because you know you're an arrogant because you were just so very friendly all the time uh and and i was like and i uh, they were 100 percent correct i was turning into a piece of shit and so if, since then i instead of instead of trying to just make amends for it i just thought i would parody it through myself uh just yeah. like utterly parody it. and sometimes and sometimes my friends point out to me when i'll say something incredibly arrogant and they were like that wasn't ironic then was it? and i'll be like no it wasn't i believed no. that <laughs> And those are always moments when I have to go, yeah. all right, this is when we fucking ran in. But I like the, you know, I, I, I also, I think there's, I love being a lovable asshole. Like, I really like the fact, in my head, I know your perception of yourself is very different to how other people see it, but I like the fact if you were to ask most comedians at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, if you were to mention my name, I, I would be willing to bet 75% of being a sloss, he's such a fucking cunt, but I love him. And I like that, right? You know. That you and I think that that's, you know, probably being a bit generous that that many people would know who you are. But <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> I meant on the comedy circuit. <laughs> I meant amongst the comics. I like that. Yeah. No, well, here's what I'm going to say, and these are why I, I think these are kind of, and why I think this is interesting, and why these things are, you know, counter contextual or whatever they are, is because you probably as much or more so than maybe any of the international comedians have not only just come over here to to work but you've it was a bit of a tough path here at various stages for you when things were going very well for you in other places it was it didn't immediately you know all click into place here in the same way as it was everywhere else i yeah. mean it has now but there were periods of time early on where i think the, if you were the truly arrogant narcissist, yeah. you would have been like, fuck Australia, burn that whole joint down. I'm going to go back to where they think I'm a genius and I'm never going to think of this place again. And you did not do that. Uh, so firstly, talk to me about that. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I think a lot of that comes down to uh, another thing that genuinely fuels me, which is spite. <laughs> like uh, it's, i'd love to say it came from a mature place where i was like you know what i'm gonna keep doing it. you gotta find spite the good can be useful man spite and hate are two things that yeah. genuinely utterly fuel me like yeah. I'm to, and friends have said that's a fucked up th thing and i'm like 
fucking works though right. you know I didn't get to do Melbourne for many many years when I walked out what I was doing other parts of Australia and you know there was utter jealousy not in the fact that people were getting to, not only that people were getting to this great festival but just like all my mates were drinking in a fucking city and I wasn't invited to that city to go drinking and you just get in your head like why am I not invited why am I like what, if, what is it is it political is it me is it whatever oh uh, well you you would have to have been thinking that 100%. because Everywhere else, it kind of opened you, it welcomed you with open arms. Yeah. Every, your experience pretty much around the world, and I mean, it has continued to be the case. You know, you've done great stuff in America and, you know, traveled around like Europe and stuff and done you know, gigs all over the place and have followings all over the place. And the world's biggest specialist comedy festival, like, I mean, you know, there's Edinburgh, but it's a, but it's a fringe festival. Yeah. That has and also, I live there, so there. I cheat. And, well, that's right. Yeah. And then there's, but there's Montreal, but that's more a trade convention that has some shows at it. Melbourne, is essentially an open to all festival, and it was except not for you. Yeah, like there was a period of time where I just, I mean, it was doing my head in a little bit because I, you know, we'd already met and become yeah. you know, friendly, and I thought you were very funny, and I just could not understand what was going on. And I imagine if you're the person, that sort of shit might drive you a little bit crazy. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, genuinely, and spite absolutely, yeah. it made me not. I mean, don't get me wrong, like I can't. Uh, guarantee that it's not going to affect me again in the future when it comes to this festival right. but like it's just yeah, it, it, FOMO and also why why am I not and it's the bit I always hate when, when you're and, it's, and I do do it but it's one of the worst things I fucking hate about myself is whenever I don't get something and somebody else does the comparisons it's like I, you do, I don't get to compare myself to my mates because we all do very different types of stand up like very different. It's, Nick Cody's got one of my favorite ways of the reason he never gets jealous of other comedians is because it's like everyone's in their own. It's like the UFC. Everyone's in their own weight division. Like he's like, yeah, I'm not doing as well as Auntie Donna, and that's because Auntie Donna are a multiple person sketch group that do music. Like yeah, it's entirely different sports. I can't compare myself to that. Whereas not being invited to this uh, thing for so many years, I was like, what? You know, I never want to look at one of my mates and go. I'm better than him. It's a horrible fucking feeling, but it did cross my mind so many times. And now finally, everyone else feels that about me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You have certainly made an effort, um, whether it's just natural or whether it's been intentional or whether it's been a combination of both. Uh, But again, I would say of the international visitors to our festival, and this is a big festival, you know, there's 800 shows or something this year and, you know, a load of internationals and I've been doing it for 22 years and my experience has been that while the internationals might come out regularly, they don't necessarily ever particularly come become part of the, the scene or form particularly close, you know, bonds or friendships with, yeah, they might have a couple of friends or, yeah, you know, whatever yeah. that they've made over here, but, you know... They, they don't become part of the community in a way that you have become part of the Australian comedy community. How did, how did that happen? I wouldn't give myself any credit in that situation. Just like uh, that's down to the, the comedians here that I just feel so uh, welcome. I can be very hard to get on with sometimes, uh, but I can also, you know, put on the fucking front of I'll just be nice to everyone. First came over when I was about 18, met Reese Nicholson. We just absolutely fell in love with each other because we were both kids at this fucking festival. They used to call us the Ducklings because we were so, we couldn't believe we were in the comedy world. So just like all the older comedians would be at, Glenn Wool would be out drinking and we were big Glenn Wool fans and we'd hang out. And Glenn's lovely, so he'd let us hang out. Yeah. But there was always times at the Sydney Comedy Festival where you would just see like an older, more experienced comic 
like walking past and then three seconds later me and reese nicholson running after them like two little drunk ducklings <laughs> and uh, so we were just called the duck- and ducklings for years everyone t- and everyone took us out of the wing especially like century the production company that brought me over they've always looked after they're very hands-on and a lot of my agents and producers have always been very hands-on you know i like you know i like having friends i like i'm a very open person i don't mind being solitary i can go weeks you know, oh no, maybe not weeks, but I can go a couple of days in my flat, not talk to anyone, and I'll be fine. It's not a sad thing, but I do like human interaction a lot, and I like closeness. I like having friends to, you know, because I'm not that closed off. I'm very open about things, and when you're not close friends with someone, I'm like, I've got a lot of things on my mind right. that I'd like to just to not bring up in a sad way, but in the way we do it now, we just go, I want to talk about this thing that's been in my head. I don't want to be able to make fun of it, and just I, I don't know what it is about the, the Aussie comics is. I've always felt more welcome in the Australian scene than I do in the UK scene. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because whenever I come to Australia, I'm in Sydney or I'm in Melbourne, whereas on the UK scene, I live in Edinburgh and I fucking refuse to move from there. And I did the circuit for a bit, but I don't do it as much. Um, Why did you not move? Because uh, for a lot of people, it just would have been one of those things where you're just like, well, if this is what... I want to be doing with my life, you know, you got to get it moved to London and, you yeah. know, go on the circuit and do that. What, why, why did you decide, nah, that's not for me? Nobody could rationally explain to me why I had to move to London. None of it. There was not, they were like, you got to be there for work. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I live in Edinburgh. Like there's a train station right. and a plane there. Like I can, I can get down to London at any point. Like it's not the 1800s. Like it's, it's not even fucking 1960. It's, it's so easy to get fucking it. I could be in New York in nine hours. Or well, maybe not from here, but like anywhere in the world, I could be in within a fucking day. Right? right, that's just the world we live in. So you to tell me that I have to move somewhere for something is utter horseshit. It's just, it's just not true. Yeah, the only thing I'm gonna miss is last minute emergency bookings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's if you it. have more than a day to plan me getting to where you're going, yeah. we can arrange this. Yeah, yeah. And also, I think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did this thing in the moment. If I'm in London, if I'm readily available for yeah. when I live in Scotland, you don't know how fucking empty my diary is, right? <laughs> You've got no idea, right? I'm gonna lose. I come down. Oh, Sloss is in town for the week. We gotta get him on fucking everything. <laughs> yeah. If I live in London, are you free? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every day I'm fucking free. It's just, and also I I don't I don't live in London. I live in Scotland. It, like right. it is my home. It's. Uh, you know, I I truly believe I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for my friends and my family. Because it's interesting to me also that perhaps you, and it may be something that is in your future, but uh, because you've had, you know, some really uh, good success so far, particularly for someone your age in America. You know, you've done Conan a bunch of times and, you know, done some, you know, touring there and, you know, clearly have an act that, you know, would work well in mm. America. Um you know, there would there must have been a temptation or at least a, a suggestion from somebody at some stage that you all the time move over there and leave, yeah. right? What would it take you to move over? My yeah. answer is always two million pounds. Yeah, I need enough money to uh, I need enough money to buy a house out there and a private jet that can fly me home to my real house every fucking weekend. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been it's like uh, I I love Scotland. I love Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's a beautiful city. It's beautiful, and also like this. Uh, this has always been a joke answer of mine, but I do also genuinely mean it. Nobody's fucking bombing us, right? Right. Nobody's bombing Scotland. No. Like, like, of all, like, oh, we might get bombed a bit eventually, but like, when all the missiles go off, nobody's like, oh yeah, let's get those cunts in skirts. It's not happening. No. There's six million of us. We're not a threat. 
like in the current political climate, I'm like, it's the safest place to be. Like we're just, you know, I think we, I think Trident wise, we've got some missiles, but they're all in the sea. I don't mind if you bomb the sea, you kill the fishes. I can give a shit. Never been a shellfish fan anyway, but no, what, I agree. I mean, that makes sense to me. And environmentally, it's still an okay place to live. Absolutely. You know. Sea levels rises, who so give a shot? I'll just move up the hills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, not, it's not like here, but it's not like here where the sea levels rise. So you're like, oh, fucking, this is a lot of flat. This is, this is, whereas in Scotland, like, ah, yeah, we'll just move 30 feet up the hill the next couple of years. be grand. Just get a caravan, pull up. Yeah, I just moved into this house. And at the moment, I'm about 10 minutes walk from the bay. But I imagine while I leave here, that'll get closer and closer. That walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have to move closer to the sea. Yeah, the sea the will move closer, closer to, to me. me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, how, that's how real estate agents start selling property in Australia. Yeah. Like, it's not beachfront yeah. yet. <laughs> but in soon, a couple of- <laughs> Soon to be beachfront <laughs> location. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just start investing and stuff like a like a mile inside Melbourne. Yeah. You're like, in 20 years, yeah. Papa gonna own a condo. Yeah, you just the th- I want the third story. They're all gonna have pools. Yeah, yeah. You're just the- going into like yeah, with like a lot of they're getting a house inspection with all the charts, and you've also just got a lot of climate change charts. <laughs> yeah. and this is really this seems like the pig zone. Yeah, this is a bit weird. It'd be this would be a nice pool, probably a deck here that we can dangle our feet. Into. Yeah, well, there's certainly some. Parts of Alaska that are just going to get that are already pretty amazing, but that climate change is going to turn into like there's going to be a sweet period in Alaska for about forty years if that's where you wanted to live somewhere nice with legal weed and uh, you know good environmental conditions. uh, Alaska, but um, so in America, I don't have the reason I wouldn't move there. I would obviously move there for a bit of work, yeah, uh, and stay there for a long period of time. But for me. I don't have my, my, that's not where my support network is. Like, that's not where my mum, where my dad and my brothers are. It's not where my cousins are. It's not where my friends are. Even like, even though I live in Edinburgh and like a lot of my friends live in London, again, it's so easy to go down and I do go to London regularly to see. So I always attribute my home as the UK. Even though I live in Edinburgh, it's very easy to get anywhere within the UK. It's an hour away from anything. And it would be a fun new experience but every time i every time somebody moves somewhere for me i'm like okay you didn't like the life that you had so you've gone to see if you can make it somewhere else i love the life that i've got and nothing so far has made me need to leave uh where i where i live i mean it it might change in the next couple of years like it's starting to get to the stage now in a lot of my friendships where you know my friends are slowly dropping off not dropping off in a bad way but they're moving and they're getting into these relationships and i'm suddenly going you know, that's a genuine fear of mine. Am I slowly watching my support network disappear and then I won't have moved to the States? I won't move to the States because I was staying here to be loyal to them. But meanwhile, they've not taken me into consideration because why would they? Right. They're living their lives. Yeah. They're having a job. I, I would be upset if I factored into their decisions in their future. Yeah. That would be unfair. What happened with you and Mandy? Well, look, we know you've given up a lot to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look, yeah, yeah, it would just be real shit. It's like, look, look, I, you, I'm, I'm massively in love with her. Yeah. I want to have kids with her. But, but, you know, you threw some pretty sick house parties about yeah. three years ago, and so, I guess I owe you for that. I mean, <laughs> so here we are. It's interesting what you say, I, and I think it, it, like, it has some relevance to... Certainly when I moved to America, part of the reason that I moved to America was that I didn't want to be here anymore, mm. or I didn't want to be here all the time anymore. It was less about me wanting to be... That's the honest answer. It's not the answer you give people when they... 
ask you, why did you go to America? And there was a myriad of answers, but the main one was that I had got to a point here with my life and my career and, you know, how careers go here, mm. that that next stage of it, the bit where you're a bit everywhere and ubiquitous and everybody knows who you are and, you know, that just comes with the, it's the cost of doing business. It's just never been the most exciting part of the job for me. Mm. I've always much more been comfortable, you know, I love just getting up, doing stand-up, you know, in a room full of, you know, people in a, you know, above a fucking pub or, in you know. In like, a fucking comic book shop. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Like, that's, to me, them, you know, if, if you ask me about my favourite gigs, they're all going to be gigs like that. And I just love doing that. And it, I'd almost got to a point here where I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, too bad. You know, I needed to go away for a while so that that could all get filled in and then you can kind of come back. And, and now what I crave, what I noticed that I've craved is I, I want to be back in now. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, now I'm like, I've missed all those things. I want to be close to my family. I want to see my friends more. I want to reconnect with them because they're now past that bit where they go away. Mm. They're at that bit where they're coming back. You know, like mm. the kids are old enough and, you know, they're all back doing stand up and, you know, you can go and have a, a night out or a catch up or a network of friends that you can, you know, have yeah. adult friendships with again. And it's, and I miss that. Even though I have great networks and friends and stuff overseas, that thing that you're saying, I feel like both of the things you said to me, it, it resent, like I, I completely connected with because I think I did move away less because I wanted to go there and more because I didn't want to be here. Yeah, and d- then now d- I've decided that I want to be here yeah. again. Yeah, you didn't want to be the, the last one left. Right. Like just sitting and being like, oh, all right, grand. Okay, let's... Well, you know what it is. It's, it's, it's essentially what you were saying. It's like, because if I'm in America in a like apartment by myself, recording some podcasts and doing some road dates, that feels like I'm doing something. But if I'm just here alone in a house, yeah, doing some shows and people are like, what's, what's going on with Will? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, it just doesn't, is he, is he okay? He's doing exactly what he did yeah. here. Yeah. It's just the way he's like, yeah, here it feels pathetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I meant to ask you if you have a philosophy towards anything. Um... I don't... I mean, you have millions and we've already talked about heaps of them. Yeah. Like, so the idea that I then have to put a button on this and say, is there one? But is, like, I mean, is there, is there, you know what I'd like actually from you? Like, because we, because I do think I know a lot about your perspectives on things and you're like, a lot of the time, you know, your perspective on things is actually contained in your material as well. Mm. Was there particular comedy or things that comedians said you know, when you were starting out, yeah. were you the sort of person who scratched around for, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about, I remember Eddie Izzard saying, you know, of the Pythons that, you know, comedy was either like, you know, treating something yeah, really silly with great seriousness or t- t- treating something serious in a you know, silly way. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Little tidbits that you're kind of like, oh, okay, that informs a little bit of how I think about comedy. Were you a person who was looking for that from other comedians? Because being a... A young person. How I guess what I'm asking is, how did you learn about comedy at that age? Um, so, when I was young, my dad just made me watch. He didn't make me watch anything. I, I heard my dad laughing downstairs, uh, and then I was in bed, and obviously laughter is a huge part of my family. So I'd hear my parents laughing downstairs, and I watched, and what was making them laugh. So I'd wake up and I'd pretend to be not feel well, and I'd go downstairs and I'd lie on my dad's chest, and we'd watch 
Jack Deere, Mark Lamar, Phil Jupus. And I was just la- I was literally just laughing at the swear words. I didn't right. get any of the fucking jokes. I was just laughing because my dad was laughing and someone was swearing and swearing is hysterical. Right. Right. Especially when you're seven. And then just uh, love it. Watched as much stand up as I could. Like before Netflix, I used to just go on eBay and just buy any VHSs. So I've got some really fucking weird DVDs. I don't know if you've ever seen Jamie Foxx's stand up special. I have. It is the worst fucking thing I have ever seen. And I think he's hugely talented as a person. I but agree. That stand up special is unforgivably shit. He's got catchphrases. It's- he has. Um, and the catchphrases that he forces on the audience at the start, they're not from a thing. The catchphrases are not from a previous set. They're not from a movie. He just says things repeatedly and then gets the... One of the ones he does is just at the end of a joint, he pretends to smoke a joint and he goes, you gotta blow that shit out. That's it. That's it. And by the end of the show, everyone is fucking doing it. So I watched Animal with that. I'm like, I'm never fucking doing that. I'm absolutely not becoming the catchphrase comic. By the way, I um, the only reason I ever saw that was I was doing Just for Laughs in Montreal. And, you know, they give you a little gift uh, package at the start of the festival. And uh, it had that DVD in it. No. Yeah. That's such a bad one to give away. <laughs> like to a bunch of comedians at an international comedy festival. There, there must have been a level of them just being like, look, this will actually make most of the comedians laugh because this is... It's like, was it, it's, Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that was the encouragement. It was like, yeah. look how successful he is and look how terrible he stayed yeah, yeah, up yeah, yeah, yeah. You could all do better. You could right. all do better. <laughs> uh, it's called Into the Foxhole. If anyone wants to give it a look online, it's honestly atrocious. Um, but I remember the first time I watched um, uh, Jim Jeffries, mm-hmm. uh, and I think the other one was like Ed Byrne was the two times I'd ever seen comedians, and they said something. They made such a good point about something. I think it was Jim Jeffries' stuff about atheism and stuff because I was an angry thirteen-year-old little fucking atheist, and he was just he was being funny and he was making a point, like he was beating people in arguments, but by being funny, and that's you know, and I, I loved that. I was like, fuck, that's such an intelligent way to, you know, do it. One, in the sense that, you know, you're being funny, so you're diffusing a lot of the tension when people disagree with you because you're still making them laugh and you're pointing out holes in yourself. But also, what a great way to not let anyone else get a fucking word in in an argument. Like, you get to have an argument on stage and nobody's allowed to interrupt because you're hypothetically playing the other side of it. Yeah. I really... What's that? I'm having... I'm, I'm convincingly winning this argument mm-hmm. I'm having with this straw man I created for this verse. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I loved it. <laughs> And then I remember seeing... Uh, I, I also love, and that's one... I mean, it's a thing that I was very very much guilty of, and it's still like a thing that you do a lot when you're talking about those sort of issues, something you disagree with. You know, you often create the you know, very convenient straw person argument that... So the that the argument then, that none of them would ever make. Right, You've just so narrowed it down and taken away... all perfect you know, <laughs> takedown of that argument. Um, what I've noticed I've started doing as I've got older and I've just like... Yeah, you get bored by the cliches of things. Is what I love more than anything now is creating a straw man and then losing the argument. You know? <laughs> That's great, <laughs> and like, and, and like the audience, it really does kind of because I guess they instinctively know that I'm making the whole like I'm in control of what the other person saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've lost the argument regardless. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. I like that. Yeah, just be like, just you, then be like, just your final rebuttal. Yeah, well. Yeah. Well, you shut up. <laughs> like, fucking hell, Will has lost it. He used to be so... He's really been destroyed by this figment of his own imagination. But do you not think the reason, another reason that you've done that is, uh, and this is a fear I'm getting into, into with my show next year, 
you've got to find you've got we've got to keep finding ways to surprise our audiences right right so the way you would always surprise the audience in years is you know you would have you would always make these good points you'd have these straw man arguments where you would you know destroy the person and then you'd shock the audience by maybe you know finding the humanity in that person or maybe you can see where they're coming from and you know or you talk about like a time when you went through that experience any of the other many things ways we can perform a bit to shock the audience and surprise them do you not think maybe that might have been a way that it's like, what's now the one thing I haven't done in front of the audience? Oh, I haven't lost an argument in front of them. That's the only way. Because otherwise it just does become samey and repetitive. For the past three years, all my shows have been 50 minutes of just stand-up fucking comedy and then five minutes of, all right, cunts, here's my soul. <laughs> right? And just really, really catching them off guard, being like, all the fucking actors drop. Nah, nah. Remember that fucking confident cunt you saw for 55 minutes? Nah, 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 nah. He's a scared little boy. How comfortable do you feel now? Back to the rest of the fucking show. And I love that bit. I love the, you know, being honest on stage and the challenge of going, what is the most horrific or honest part of myself I'm willing to reveal? But at what point? Am I going to tear another layer off myself? And they're going to go, we know. <laughs> right. You're deeper than you were last year. We get it. Well, also the other thing is, though, that is there a... Because you've kind of dug a lot already at such a young age... Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm begging for tragedies at this right. point. <laughs> I really fucking am. Like, I've done, I've done heartbreak. I've done my dead sister. Right, this year I had to bring up something that happened to me at 13. Nothing bad. I've just spun it in a way that makes it much more... Like, fucking, honestly, my mum needs to cop it. Like, for my art. It's getting to her feel. There's nothing... I don't know what to do. It's a genuine thing. It's that horrible thing as a comedian going... I... And I, I, but I also don't want to come up with more because at what point does it just become a straight white man going? I've got struggles too. Oh no, you you passed that point a long time ago. <laughs> okay, <laughs> don't don't feel bad about that. That's the oh, other. Sorry, that's what, that's sorry. the thing. The other thirty percent of comedians are saying about your work. Oh, sorry, that's, I'm sorry. I, I meant that's what my show's called next year. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got problems too. Daniel Sloss of white guys can't empathise fame. How do you? Um, how do you work on the process of having a bold statement about something? that you know you must have the intellect to realize that at your age there's going to be some things that you're saying now that five or ten or 15 years from now you are going to look back on and think who the fuck was that who was this guy like be- is that exciting to you is that like a is terrifying to you what no, is that ca- to you can't wait can't wait i have always said if i do not hate my st- if i do not hate this show in 5 years i've failed in 5 years like i can't i can't watch the stand up i did 6 or 7 years ago one day i will be able to but it's still just too close i can i'm like oh jesus look how fucking cool you think you are how smart you clearly think you are oh look at you being all deep oh oh what a deep and complex you, you fucking narcissist like the way i play the uh I want to feel that way about my show now in in five years. Of course I do. But also, what a joy it'll be where in five years' time, the straw man in my argument will be the younger me. Right. Like, like, oh, no that, doubt about I that. I can't fucking wait. I, 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 I might one day just do you know my show last year was about breakups and and how it you know being singles great and you know i forced all these couples to break ups 
Maybe in five years' time, I'll be marrying another kid, and I'll just be like, you fucking angry little dick. This is all... No, no, no. That's a fallacy. Maybe the whole show will just be me doing a rebuttal yeah. to that entire... You know what real love is? Yeah. Wanting your partner to die, yeah. and then loving him again the next day. Yeah, yeah. That's true love. It's yeah, going through. They make you feel everything. If you're the sort of person who just gave up on somebody, because yeah. one day yeah. you felt like you wanted them to yeah. die. The real reason you <laughs> broke up with them isn't because you wanted them to die. It's because you were scared at one point they would have that thought... And you need to be loved at every fucking moment. <laughs> the fact that they would even for a second not have you, the sole person in their life, wasn't enough for you. And you couldn't fucking risk it, you tiny little coward. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the title of the show. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I know. My, I, yeah. And I know how much my opinions have changed so much in the past three years. And, 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 and they will. And that, I do love the fact that I just still go into everything with the same full 100% conviction of nah I'm gonna think this forever you guys are fucked I think that there's a real power to that and I was watching uh, Becky Lucas's special on um, uh, the ABC they played as like a it was a half hour special yeah. and they played on the ABC and uh, I just happened to be home on a Saturday night and you know I'm a big fan of Becky's and she's, she's too fucking she's, great uh, uh, been you know she's done some opening and stuff for me over the years and I just think she's a great comedian but also a, just a really fun person to hang around with you yeah. know and uh i was at home by myself and like the special came on and i was like you know what i'm gonna sit down and i'm gonna watch becky's special and the thing that i loved about it was how unapologetically of her time and her life it was yeah like she made no uh pretense to broaden out the appeal of some of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like the jokes or the scenarios. Yeah. Like, you know, it was so age appropriate, <laughs> Do you know, like the confidence of someone her age. The conviction. The, the, the conviction, the dismissiveness, the, you know, the idea that these are the things that are important to you when you're this age, as opposed to all the other things that people tell you that they're... And I love that sort of comedy. And I think that's very similar to yours. Is like when I see a 20 six-year-old talking about what it's like to be 26 to me that's and and acting like they're 26 yeah like often when you get older that people go they look at the young ones and like, oh, he's always so full of confidence and he thinks yeah. he knows everything i'm like yeah <laughs> that's he's, what they are he's 22 and he's had like eight good gigs in a row that's <laughs> yeah. what you're meant to be like <laughs> yeah. he's got much less to compare okay, it to mate he'll learn it'll <laughs> yeah. be fine yeah. but let him have this Look, if he's yeah. like if he's like this when we're forty, we'll have a serious fucking sure. word. But it, we all worked it out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, life and comedy is yeah. gonna kick him very hard right. in the dick pretty fucking soon. Yeah, just let him have this. Remember optimism. that moment we we all were lucky enough to have at one stage where we went, "Oh, I've learned this all. None of this could ever go wrong ever again." <laughs> let him have that. Yeah, because as we all know. It goes away. And these are my definitive opinions, and they will never change. I've thought this through. certainly society will not yeah. change in a way that makes these opinions offensive <laughs> <Yeah>. in retrospect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just everything, every, look, everything's going to stay the same because they have done for the past two years of my life. Yeah. And just so you know, two years of my life is 10%. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to, has it been two years? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. When you start comparing, yeah. How, how old other people have got my brothers are now 18 and 15 mm -hmm. and that blows my mind that's a that's a moment i never watched that's when i knew i was getting and again i know the irony of a fucking 27 year old telling you he's feel like he's getting older but it's when you just go 
in my head my brothers are still 13 and nine i haven't updated any of that my brain hasn't updated the fact that my 17 year old brother can beat me up now because all i can remember is beating up a nine-year-old him and so we not beating up but we would wrestle all the time whereas now i'll still get into wrestling fights with him he's six two right he weighs at least two stone more than me and it is all muscle and i'm like He's nine. I'm his older brother. The laws of the universe dictate that I get to fucking kick the shit out of him. <laughs> so I'm worried that maybe things maybe won't update in my life. I can't update. I can't update the ages of my brothers in my head based on the physical evidence of them there. Maybe I will be this stubborn and stupid forever. I mean, maybe, maybe. I don't think so. I, I doubt that will be the case. Tell me about um, being in the middle of a comedy festival because we talked on Fofop the other day it was right at the start of the festival now when we're catching up for this mm. podcast um it's the middle of the festival yeah uh what's what's it like just give people a bit of an idea of like what a festival is like the idea of like getting up on stage every night and you sort of examining those ideas in front of different audiences and it's it's close as you get to a kind of focus group because if you're going from place to place every day like you yeah. know if you go if i'm playing in melbourne tonight and i'm playing in sydney tomorrow or even if i'm playing in one venue in melbourne tonight and then another venue in melbourne the next night there is so much uh, about the environment that resets your day a bit you know like you you're in a different room you're in a different environment you have to get on a plane side, whatever right? check, yeah, yeah. but this is not that this is groundhog day in some ways but the audience is different every night the response is different every night just like give us some insight into you know like as a comedic artist in the middle of a festival like what's that process like i i live my life with the festival i honestly believe if uh my mother or any of my close friends saw the way i truly lived during the festival they would be so sad and worried for me <laughs> like i genuinely think if they were to walk into my apartment now that i'm saying they'd be like is everything okay and i'm like no this is just the way i live and they'd be like that's awful <laughs> <laughs> Like this is, I, 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 I honestly because I, I, the, my show's at fucking nine, right? So yeah. I'm not waking up at nine a.m. Fuck that! I'm not waiting twelve hours before I have to do my work. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna wake up about twelve or one. I don't really eat in the morning. My stomach hasn't fully woken up, so I'll just fucking sit and I'll do. I'll not shower, uh, and then about three. I don't want to eat. I'll just. I'll go. I should eat. Right. That's what people do. And then I'll just... I, don't, I won't go to any of the plethora of lovely restaurants in Melbourne. <laughs> I'll go downstairs and I'll get a sandwich or a microwavable meal. And I can't express yeah. to you... Never I'm, have you been more Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy throughout this whole process. I'm not... I'm, there's a, and I'll just sit on my phone and I'll look at my memes and I'll... Go, <laughs> and I'll... <laughs> I'll sit on my phone and I'll look at my memes. If if James Fosdick, if that's the fucking quote he puts on the fucking artistic photo of me, I've seen the Edelman ones where they're all like deep quotes about him doing stuff in comedy. If the picture of me is I sit on my phone and I look at my memes, I will fucking deck James Fosdick. You know what? You have just guaranteed that he'll because he'll often send me one or two different versions. And uh, I bet he sends at least one now that it's I'll just sit on my phone and look at my memes. And if he doesn't, he's getting sacked. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's a rock and a hard place for him. He's either getting sacked or getting decked. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd like to think that he could take a punch. But I'm not sure that his family could take uh, me withdrawing a massive contribution to their right, finance. All right, fine, fine, fine. I'll mug him. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, mate, um, we're going to wind this up soon, but um, uh, it's, it's the rest of my day is not as blink. I just yeah. for me, it's about keeping myself in a normal Prepared state. For the show. Yeah, and which is you know, if my friends want to go for dinner, I'll absolutely make them yeah. because after the show, once I've got the adrenaline pumping, I go out and I you know we'll, I'll always go for a meal afterwards and I'll hang out with my friends and I'll drink and that's the social aspect because I know from. I know from seven o'clock, eight o'clock onwards, yeah. right? I'm a hundred percent talking to people at that point. I'm yeah. doing an hour of talking. I'm meeting people afterwards. I'm gonna go to the bar because I want to see all my friends and all the. I want to make sure they're all doing good. So for the whole start of the fucking day, I, I don't mind just not performing. My, um, I've been uh, doing a lot of these podcasts mostly because the people I want to talk to are in town because of the comedy festival. Ideally, I wouldn't be doing them now because. Uh, I've got radio in the morning. I'm doing my show at night. And it's my brother messaged me the other day. He was down from the farm. They were in the city. I ended up catching up with him on Sunday. But on Saturday afternoon, he was like, oh, we're down. What are you doing? And I just had to send him a message and said, I'm not talking. That's what I'm doing today. I'm just literally all day. I, my, all I want is to just not have to talk. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to be have to stimulate that part of me because it stimulates so very regularly, and I love the moments. I love them. Yeah. Of course, you love talking to your brother. He's your brother. I love talking to my friends. Right. Points. I'm just oh, like, and I want to see you tomorrow when I can fully talk to you and yeah. enjoy talking to you. Yeah. But today, I'm just not talking. I'm just not talking. That's a very good way of dealing with it. <laughs> I'm still at the desperate stage where if someone, I'm like, yeah, of course I'll come out and meet yeah. up with you. Like I can't. I can't let people down. Um, hey, uh, so this podcast always ends and we've kind of like talked about it a bit already and I am kind of aware of, you know, your beliefs in this area, but you know, it's what I talk about with everybody. So I'm going to talk about it with you as well, which is, uh, what do you think happens when you die? Uh, I don't mean the faux funeral. I mean, yeah. what do you, what is your belief system? You've mentioned you're an atheist. Is, is that it? You yep. mean as in like you die and you're done and that's it. That's the end of the everything. hundred percent. Okay, so if that is the case, I've asked you this before, so it seems yeah. weird, for, yeah. but we're doing it for this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, in that case, what is this? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the most joyous accident. Like I genuinely, uh, the amount of people that say, do you not find, uh, you know, being an atheism, the, you know, after you die, do you not find that depressing? And I go, no, I genuinely find it more like this life is, and I hate to use the word miraculous, but it's a statistical anomaly. Right. We are all, a sti- every single one of us should not exist. For, for me to exist, my parents had to fuck at pretty much the exact moment they fucked for me to be this sperm for that specific egg to that point in their life. Even that point in their life where they were, how they raised me, had it been, I wouldn't be that person. And for my parents to exist, their parents had to do that had to fuck at the exact same time and their parents and so on and so forth for fucking ever. It's the chances of you existing are statistically impossible. It's not possible that any of us exist yet. Here we are. Yeah. So So why is it this, this ridiculous fucking mess that our lives are where we think that all these things are important and this is the way we've arranged each other. Because if we are indeed, a statistical anomaly in the corner of the universe, which, by the way, as you know, is what I also believe. Yeah, yeah. But I guess the next question is always, then why this? Why is it this? Why are we... Do- like, why is this accident? How has it become this? I, 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 I don't know, but I also don't want... I don't want the fucking answer, necessarily. Like, uh, 
I, I, I love I do. This. And I'm going to stop doing this podcast as soon as someone answers the question. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just get the final answer to life and then you just disappear in smoke. You just dust away of strong gust of wind. Ah, he got all the answers. <laughs> it's just very peaceful. Nobody's sad. Just, he, well, he did it. Yep. He did so many of the philosophy podcasts. He finally got he all finally the answers. Cracked it. Or it's just the, the person that says is, what is this? And somebody just goes, it's all about that pussy, mate. And you're like, no, not that. Oh, no. He wasn't that deep. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a real, you know what? Turns out it was that. Turns out it was. It was just all about that. I think, I think, that's, I think that's the fucking fun of it. Like, you just go through life going, what's the meaning of it? Like, and I... I don't think there is a meaning to life. I think there is a meaning to everyone's life. And, and I think that changes so often. For some people, the meaning of their life for so long is, you know, charity and helping others. But then it becomes about their family and it becomes about their kids' success and it becomes or about their kids' happiness. Or there's other people who it's, you know, they were in a young relationship and then they lost the thing. So it's not about love. It's, it's not for them anymore. It's about... Then going on to charity, but traveling the world. I don't think there is no meaning to life itself. I think it's up to you what the meaning of the meaning for my life just now is my family, my friends, and my job. That is, I I, li- I live to hang out with my friends. I live to connect and learn more about my parents and my brothers. I you know, my meaning of life is getting to know all the people I love and, and, and doing the job that I love. Uh, and that's not the case for everyone. And I wouldn't want it to be the case for everyone because I'll be honest with you, I don't want any more fucking competition. I was going to say, it make the industry so Yeah, I don't want it. Everyone else, fuck off, mate. Right, I, so, I feel like it's time to put up a wall. <laughs> a wall around comedy. <laughs> and I'm going to make the non-comedians pay for that wall. <laughs> <laughs> Which they are. Like, they're coming to see the shows. Like, yeah, it's going to be a brick wall. Like a comedy club. Yeah. And, and, and I'll occasionally break the fourth wall during my comedy. But, uh... Um, I don't. Th- I don't think there is. I don't. There is not a meaning to. There is. I will tell you that there is not a meaning to life. But I would never tell you that there was not a meaning to yours. There you go. That's done. That's the way you end it. Look at that. Yeah. You can have yeah, that James Fostag, put that on a yeah, fucking one. You I can like put that one on and the one about on his phone checking his memes. They've both <laughs> got to be there. It's the real juxtaposition of my depth and complexity as a human being. Uh, thank you, Daniel Sauce. Thank you for having me. Oh, hang on. Let's plug shit. I'll do plugs at the top as well. But, okay. you know, uh, so uh, after the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Melbourne, uh, I'm doing Perth Regal Theatre at some point. I think it's the 26th or 27th. Yep. Uh, and then I'm doing Sydney and more. Same sort of time. And then uh, if people want to find you on the internet and, you know, well, A, if this is the first time that you've heard Daniel and I talk, there are so many episodes of Fofop that you can go and uh, I would, revisit. Yeah. I would always, I would strongly recommend the one I still think is funniest is, uh, White guys are, can't empathise, or you got to cough to get off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's been some fun ones. Oh, there's been some fucking over bellies. the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Daniel was not lying when he said his parents are funny. There is a moment that I won't spoil, but if you're willing to go digging deep, you will discover one of the great uh, Dr. Les Sloss moments of all time. Uh, yep. That uh, you know will will certainly. Uh, convince you that uh, his parents are as funny as he's, as he's told you. Yeah, the bastards. Uh, all right, mate. Thank you. Thanks, buddy.